to the Refinery Church Podcast. Each message comes from our Saturday night service in Brea, California. We pray these messages will build your faith and encourage you today. If you are new with us and you haven't been here or you haven't been here in a while, we're taking the summer uh, to camp out. Um, you see what I'm doing there? Summertime camp out. We're taking the summer to camp out in a book called Daniel, found in the Old Testament. And I have loved spending time with Daniel. I've loved spending time getting into this word. Um, matter of fact, if you haven't heard the messages and you're new with us, you can go back and check out our podcasts um, or visit our website and listen there. And I checked them, and we're pretty close to being updated. We don't have last week's up yet, but all the other ones are on there. I was actually listening this week. We've seen that Daniel faces all these tests, and tests builds up anxiety in all of us. We go, oh my gosh, tests. But these are the kind of tests that help us receive blessings. Because as I said a few weeks ago, before every blessing comes a testing, and God tests us. It's true. Some of us don't like to accept the, the fact, but God does test us. And he does this to see if we're able to handle the blessings that he wants to give us. Are we strong enough? You know, it's, it's like I've said before, before I go and use a tool to go repair something, I hope that tool has been tested and, and, and proven to be strong, to have good integrity before I go put my hand underneath an engine and start to crank on it. I don't want to bust up my knuckles. I want to make sure that that thing's strong enough. So that tool is tested before it's sent out into the marketplace. We're tested by God. Because he wants to bless us. He wants to pour forth blessing on us, but he wants us to, to make sure that our character is strong enough. Our integrity is mature enough to handle what he wants to do in our life. And so we're looking at these various tests that happen in the book of Daniel. Today, I want you to write, as if you're taking notes right there in your journal, today on a nice fresh page, you can write unshaken. And here's the title, When the Heat is On. How many 80s fans in here? Come on. All right. Y'all remember that song? Very good, Kelby. I didn't even ask you to do that. But Noah, go ahead. Play that song. I want, I want you to play that intro again. How many guys remember that 80s song? Who was it? Glenn Fry from the Eagles. That's right. Great 80s tune. Let me tell you a little bit of that. That, that was actually from a popular movie. I don't know if you guys remember the movie. Anybody? Beverly Hills Cop, that's right, Beverly Hills Cop. It was a classic 1984 movie starring Eddie Murphy, Beverly Hills Cop. Listen, the producers wanted a theme song, and they considered this almost kind of like a throwaway song, right? It was, hey, we need a theme song for this movie um, called Beverly Hills Cop. And so they hired Glenn Fry from the Eagles right? To, to write this song. And he probably didn't even think twice about it. They said, uh, we'll give you $15,000 to write one song. All right. And you know, some of us go, hey, that sounds pretty good, doesn't it? Get $15,000. The problem was that was the flat rate. They just said, we'll give you $15,000. That song made millions of dollars in the 1980s and beyond. It's considered one of the top 100 1980s classic songs. Uh, the heat is on, but he only got $15,000 for it. Kind of sad, huh? The words of the song, as you were hearing it, let me, let me read to you the words of the intro of that song. It's kind of interesting. It says, the heat is on. Da -na 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 -na. The heat is on, right? It goes like this. It says, inside your head and on every beat. Oh, I'm sorry. 
and on every beat, and the beat's so loud that it's deep inside because the pressure's high just to stay alive. The heat is on. Those are the words to the song. Have you ever felt that kind of heat, that kind of pressure that he's talking about? You know what I'm talking about? That, that, that term, the heat is on, is actually kind of a relatively new term. It actually was birthed in the 1930s here in the United States of America when a prohibition was happening and uh, gangsters were running alcohol, right? Trying to, trying to make a buck and uh, they were running illegal alcohol and they said, the cops are pursuing it. The cops are after us. The heat is on. So that term became really popular to understand, oh, the cops are after us. That's what it meant by the heat is on. Nowadays, um, that phrase simply means, man, I'm feeling pressure. The heat is on. Maybe you've heard that at work. Man, the heat is on. The boss is on me. We got to get this thing done. The heat is on at school. I got to get this, this project done. The heat is on. I'm feeling the pressure of the deadline. I'm feeling the pressure of expectations at work, at home, in my family, things like that. The heat is is on. Well, today we're going to spend some time in the book of Daniel chapter 3, and we're going to see how a few of Daniel's friends experienced literal heat. I don't know what I said, but Siri decided she was going to chime in there. She's always listening. Isn't that freaky? It kind of weirds me out right there. That moment just... Daniel chapter 3, the heat is on. And that's what we're going to be talking about. The heat is on. This story is, is ready to become a movie. I want to see this story. And you're going to see today, matter of fact, we're going to go uh, through the first half of this chapter and literally see how this could be an incredible story. And today, how we can learn from that and how we can learn how to live a life that's unshaken, to live a life above the chaos when the heat is on, all right? Let me give you some context before we jump into our story found in Daniel chapter 3, all right? We pick up 15 years after our story from last week. Last week, we talked about how Daniel was facing something that was impossible. He was 15 years old. I'm sorry, he was 17 years old at that point, and he was facing an impossible task. Today's story in chapter 3 is 15 years later. Daniel and his buddies are now in their mid-30s. They've had some great success. They've experienced promotion in their life, and they're in charge. They're actually governors in regions of Babylon. Daniel and his friends are no longer teenagers. Now they're adults with adult responsibilities. The Babylonian king Nebuchadnezzar, who's still in charge, is now more powerful than ever before. When he was, when 15 years before, he had just come into power. Now he's been in power for 15 years. And you know what power does? It begins to feed your ego. Fame and fortune and power begin to fill a person to think that they are more than they really are. Well, King Nebuchadnezzar is no different. He's a, he's a human being filled with pride and arrogance. He's the most powerful man in the world, and his pride and his ego is about to be revealed. Daniel chapter 3, beginning at verse 1. Let's take a look at this story. Follow along on the screens as I read, would you? King Nebuchadnezzar made a gold statue 90 feet tall and 9 feet wide. 90 feet tall, just to help you guys understand that. That's 9 stories tall, okay? That's like almost a 10-story building, 
All right, so there you go. So 90 feet tall, nine feet wide, and he set it up on the plain of Dura in the province of Babylon. He put it out on the plains so that everybody could see it, not tucked away in the city. Then he sent messages to the high officials, the officials, the governors, the advisors, the treasurers, the judges, the magistrates, and all the provincial officials to come to the dedication of the statue that he had set up. All right, so he calls all the important influential people to the dedication, like a good imperial would do. So all these officials came and they stood before the statue that King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. Then, dun, 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 then a herald shouted, people of all races and nations and languages, listen to the king's commands. When you hear the sound of the horn, the flute, the zither, the lyre, the harp, the pipes, and the other musical instruments, bow to the ground to worship King Nebuchadnezzar's gold statue. Anyone who refuses to obey will immediately be thrown into a blazing furnace. These officials didn't know what was going on. They came because they thought there was going to be a dedication to a new government statue. And Nebuchadnezzar's pride and ego is, no, you will all worship me. This is extreme pride and arrogance. Nebuchadnezzar wants to be worshiped as a god, not just a king, but a god. And it seems extreme, but today, do you know something? We have the same sorts of things happening in our own society today. I want to take and pause just for a minute. Um, Before I get into the practical application of this, I want to kind of shine a light on how what was going on in Babylon 2,500 years ago is is happening today in our Western culture, in our Western society. We have some things in common with this culture from 2,500 years ago. One of the first things that I see that we have in common is this. I see this. We create larger-than-life images to worship in our Western world, in our Western society. And I speak from Western world and Western society because that's where I live, that's where I function, that's where most of my influence and information comes from. And what I see is that we do the same sorts of things. Now, they're not, they may not be made of gold and statues that people are necessarily physically bowing down to. But you know these images, these larger-than-life images can be found in our modern temples called movie theaters, called stadiums, called concert halls and concert venues and social media. We, we, we create these images that are larger than life. Music, movie stars, sports celebrities. They're bigger than life images that have been created. Remember, they're just humans. They're just people, flawed and failed. Yet we we value them. We spend money to listen to them, to watch them. And in some instances, in some people's hearts, sadly worship them. Remember, the definition of worship is to attribute worth and value. See, what we did tonight with the music was we worshiped God. We were attributing value and worth to God through our song. How do you show value and worth in a modern society? You know how you do it? You put out some money. 
right? This is valuable to me. I'm going to put out some money. I can tell you what matters to you by how you spend your two most precious things, your time and your money. I can tell you what's important to you. I can tell you what you value. I can tell you what is worthy to you. Some people value entertainment. And so they don't mind plunking down $5,000 for an annual pass at Disneyland. I don't think it's, I know that sounds extreme. I don't know how much it is, but I know it's expensive nowadays. I happen to enjoy Disneyland and I happen to enjoy Star Wars a lot. Um, I can't afford right now to go to Disneyland, um, but I'd love to see the new Galaxy's Edge Star Wars land. So what do I do? Like most poor people, I go on YouTube and I find other people that have gone there. And I watch them go through Galaxy's Edge. There's this one guy that I've been following on YouTube. He's at Disneyland every single day. Guy's a freak. Matter of fact, literally this morning, I watched him and he said, today's episode, we're going to go into the other areas of the park because everybody's at Galaxy's Edge. Let's go see where there are short lines at Disneyland. And I'm thinking, man, I know what you value, buddy. I know what you put worth towards. It's Disney. He loves it. He loves it. We do that. Oh, and by the way, do people worship gold? (laughs) Oh, yeah. That one's still around and it's been around for a long time and still highly worshipped. We create these images that are worshipped. Secondly, here's another thing that I noticed that we do, is that we... We create false images of ourself to impress others. As I've looked around it, that's what Nebuchadnezzar did, right? He created a false image of himself to impress others. He placed it in the plains so that when traveling uh, 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 dignitaries would pass by, they would see this 90-foot statue with no flaws, right? He was perfectly polished. No pimples on his face. They were perfectly polished. Matter of fact, the sculptors, he might have even said to them, hey, go and make my pecs a little bit bigger. Make those biceps a little bit larger. Go ahead. We'll do a little ancient Photoshop on my statue, would you? Just polish it really nicely. He created a false image to impress others. We do that today, don't we? We do. This is a temptation for all of us in today's culture. We create exaggerated images of ourselves on social media. We post, look where I've been, look what I've done, look at my vacations, look how great I am. And maybe deep down you don't, you don't feel like you're motivated by saying, oh, I'm not saying look how great I am. But the reality is deep down we all want to be loved and accepted. And so we're looking for the likes. Dink. We're looking for the thumbs up. Hey, We are. And sadly, we have a generation that if they don't get enough likes, they don't get enough thumbs up. They fall into discouragement, depression, and their self-worth is based on this false image. How many of you have seen the movie, the recent movie Jumanji? Anybody seen the recent movie Jumanji? Funny movie. I, I, I recommend it. I don't normally recommend certain movies, but that's a funny, fun family movie. But one of the opening scenes is this young lady. She, she spent probably about an hour getting the perfect selfie shot in the morning, right? With a little bit of toast and coffee next to her. Her hair is perfectly 
whatever you do with hair. Her makeup's done and she's looking so good. She takes the picture and then she posts underneath it, just rolled out of bed, thank God for coffee. Yeah. Not a real image. It's an epidemic. Our culture is me-focused society. I'm guilty of it. You know, I post, you know, oh, look at this great food thing that I went and found and I ate it. It was so good. I'm guilty of it too. Check out this food thing. Deep down I'm saying, don't you wish you were eating it too? Look how cool I am. I'm eating this cool food. You know what? I see all these pictures of food. It's nothing but food porn. It really is. Man, wow, that's really great food. I want that food. I got to get this food. Man, if I had that food, man, I'd be the best. We do. We do. If we don't get enough likes and thumbs up, we begin to get discouraged. It's an epidemic. It needs to be brought under control. The third thing that I see that's common to back then was if I reject the world's images, people will try to burn me. I reject what the world has said. Those images. Maybe not burn you in a furnace, but they'll try to burn you other ways. I've watched these things on Facebook. I don't spend much time on Facebook personally. I use it to try to connect to some people and I try to market, you know, and get the word out about our church. I'm not down in social media as far as the the vehicle of disseminating information. But when I see the abuse of it, when I see somebody try to stand up for righteousness and integrity and suddenly boom, 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 they're getting blasted with ridicule and rejection. They're getting burned. We hear everybody's doing it. Everybody loves it. Everybody thinks it's great. And if you don't particularly think it's great, if you don't particularly agree with it, then you get rejected and ridiculed. Let me jump back and show you what was going on in in this time in Babylon. Daniel chapter 3. Now look at verse 8. But some of the astrologers went to the king and they informed on the Jews. Interesting how they chose one group of people to speak out against. Verse 9, they said to King Nebuchadnezzar, long live the king. I think that's how they sounded. You you issued a decree requiring all the people to bow down and worship the gold statue. When they hear the sound of all those musical instruments... That decree also states that those who refuse to obey must be thrown into a blazing furnace. But there are some Jews, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, whom you have put in charge of all the province of Babylon. They pay no attention to you, your majesty. They refuse to serve your gods and do not worship the gold statue you have set up. What are you going to do, King Mom? What? (laughs) The heat's on. The heat's on. I kind of make light and make a funny voice, but the, the reality is these were co-workers. These were other government officials. I don't know, maybe they were jealous of these young men because for some reason they were, they were getting promoted. They, it, they were standing up for, for righteous things, yet they still experienced success. Maybe these guys were racists. 
You know, they mentioned these Jews. Maybe they're anti-Semites. Maybe they were being used by Satan because these young men were standing up to honor God and Satan didn't want that. And so maybe these astrologers were tools of Satan. Whatever the motivation was, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were being attacked for taking a stand. You may have already experienced this in your own personal life, at work, at home, on social media, in your family. You try to take a stand for righteousness, and the heat turns up when you try to honor God with your lifestyle, to say, I'm going to live according to God's word, live his principles, which leads to the fourth thing that I see in our world that's very similar to what's happening in Babylon, and that is doing the right thing always makes someone angry. You've probably heard the adage, you'll never please everybody, you'll never make everybody happy. It's true. And especially if you try to do the right thing, to stand up for righteousness. If you do the honest thing, the integrous thing, you show character or compassion, it's going to make someone around you angry. It's true. And many times we think, well, if I were just perfect, everyone would love me. Which has issues in itself when we try to please people. Because you'll never please everybody. No matter how hard you try, no matter how perfect you are. I mean, guys, consider this. Jesus Christ was perfect. And look what they did to him right? He was perfect. And they crucified and killed him. They put him on a cross. So even if you were able to be perfect, there's going to be people that are angry at you. I see this common. It was common then. That's what these astrologers were doing towards Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And then we see what happens with the king. Let's look back at our story. By the way, you may have noticed that um, Daniel's not even mentioned here. We're not sure why. We don't know. Maybe he was on a, a business trip. Uh, maybe he was out in another providence at this time. But this story really just focuses on Daniel's three friends, his buddies. They're the ones that get to go through this test. So take a look. Daniel chapter 3, th verse 13. Then Nebuchadnezzar flew into a rage. But if I had those guys talking to me, I would too. Nebuchadnezzar flew into a rage and he ordered that Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego be brought before him. When they were brought in, Nebuchadnezzar said to them, I need a voice for Nebuchadnezzar. Is it true that Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, that you would refuse to serve my God or worship the God golden statue I have set up? That sounds pretty good. I will give you one more chance to bow down and worship the statue I have created, I have made, when you hear the sound of the musical instruments. But if you refuse, you'll be thrown immediately into the blazing furnace, and then what God will be able to rescue you from my power? <laughs> that sound like Nebuchadnezzar to you, that, that work? Okay. I want to tell you something. When you stand up for Christ or you stand up for integrity in the workplace, it's going to make people mad. It is. The apostles Matthew, Mark, and Luke, they all recorded Jesus saying these words. You will be hated if you are my followers. Jesus said that. 
See, Jesus said, I have come that you would have life and have it abundantly. And many people say yes to Jesus. Yes, yes, Jesus, I, 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 I want that abundant life. But remember, Jesus also said, in this life, you will have trouble. Jesus also says, take up your cross and follow me. He also says, they're going to hate you because you're my followers. See, Jesus doesn't pro promise a rose garden, but he promises a, a life that's fulfilled and purposeful and meaningful. But we're all going to face the test of fire. And the question is, will you stand or will you bow? Whether it's pressure from society, pressure from work, pressure from family. Will you stand or will you bow? In this story, we see three kinds of leaders. And these are the three kinds of leaders that we see in this story. The stuck-up, the kiss-up, and the stand-up. Right? Nebuchadnezzar, he's the stuck-up one. He thinks he's God. He thinks the world revolves around him. He's stuck-up. The others are the bureaucrats, the kiss-ups, right? They're, they're saying, oh, you're so great, oh, king, you're so wonderful. They're telling him exactly what he wants to hear. And then there's Shadrach, Meshach, and again, Bendigo. They're the stand-ups. When everybody else is falling flat on their face and bowing, they're going to stand up. Will you be a stand-up? As our society moves forward, as generations and cultures move forward, will you stand up for righteousness? Will you be willing to face the heat, the fire when the heat is on. Let's take a quick look back at how these three guys responded so that we can learn how to respond too. Verse 16. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego replied. I'm just going to give him my voice. Oh, Nebuchadnezzar, we do not need to defend ourselves before you. If we are thrown in the blazing furnace, the God whom we serve is able to save us. He will rescue us. He will rescue us. I'm going to put the emphasis on the right syllable. He will rescue us from your power, your majesty. See, they weren't being disrespectful. They still say your majesty. But he will rescue us from your power, your majesty. Verse 18, but even if he doesn't, we want to make it clear to you, your majesty, that we will never serve your gods or worship the golden statue you have set up. Notice they were never disrespectful when they were speaking to their authority. They acknowledged him as your majesty. They acknowledged his authority here on earth. But they stood for righteousness. They stood for righteousness. And we can learn from their example how to respond when the heat is on. And these are the practical things I'm going to give you as we wrap up tonight. Number one is this. Take a look. Don't worry. If I say it, don't worry. I said this last week when you're facing an impossible task, don't panic. This week when the heat is on, I'm saying, don't worry. Don't worry. Be happy. <laughs> I love it. We got a DJ in the back there, AJ. You got a little competition back there. Do you see a theme? Do you see a theme here? When, when each time Daniel or these guys are tested, their first response is faith. And the opposite of faith is doubt and worry. They respond with faith. They say, what do they say? They said, we do not need to defend ourselves before you. There's confidence. We don't need to defend ourselves. 
The pressure test, the impossible test, now the fire test. Their first response is not to worry, panic, or freak out. Because these guys had obeyed God for over 15 plus years. And they'd seen God provide for them. They'd seen God promote them and protect them. And so their confidence, their faith-filled confidence was there. They didn't need to defend themselves or God. They just needed to trust God. When you're at work or in your place of influence, you don't need to justify the attacks when you take a moral stand. You can simply calmly confidently trust God to be your defender. Stand for righteousness and confidently know God will defend you. See, Jesus often tells us not to worry, but to trust God. We see that over and over and over again in the New Testament. Matter of fact, here are the words of Jesus from Matthew chapter 6, verses 25 through 27. I'm just going to summarize these. It says, he says, I tell you not to worry. I tell you not to worry about everyday life. Can all of your worries add a single moment to your life? No, they don't. And science has proven that over probably 80% of the things that you worry about never come to pass. And about 10% of those things might happen or might not. There's only about 10% of the things that you worry about that you actually can influence. That's what science says. Jesus says, don't worry about it. Trust me. The second thing these guys did that we need to do is we need to remember God's power. Everybody say that. Remember God's power. Remember who he is. And remember who you are. Remember God's power. When you said yes to Jesus, you were adopted by the God of the universe. You were adopted by not just a power in the universe, but the power of the universe. The Bible says that all that there is, is sustained and maintained by God's power. That's your God. That's the one whom you said yes to. God has the power to save. And these guys were convinced. They were confident of that. When I read that, sometimes there almost is an arrogance about it. Like, we will not bow. But no, what it is, is it's a confidence. Knowing that they would rather obey God than obey this man. Because God is the powerful one. We need to remember God's power. Take a look at what it says in Colossians chapter 1, verse 16 in the New Testament. The Bible says that through him, that is Jesus, through Jesus, God created everything in the heavenly realms and on earth. He made the things we can see and the things we can't see, such as thrones, kingdoms, rulers, and authorities in the unseen world. Everything was created through him and for him. You see, God is the powerful one. So when you stand up for God and you stand up for righteousness, know that you've got the God of the universe standing right there back behind you and you should walk with confidence. I might have mentioned this before to you. Uh, There was this one time that uh, uh, I was getting into a 
a bit of a rumble with somebody I had an issue with when I was a teenager. Um, his name, I can't remember his name now, but it doesn't matter. He just wanted to, he just wanted to beat me up. He wanted to kick my butt. You know, he just wanted to shove my, his fist in my face, you know. And uh, my brother-in-law, Dennis Knup, he was a very and still is a very powerful man. He was a power lifter, and the kids in our school knew about Dennis. And uh, we met one night, this guy that wanted to beat me up, he calls me out, said, meet you at the golf course on Friday night at 10 o'clock. We're going to rumble, you know, it's like something from an old movie. So I show up at the golf course, because I'm not a coward, I'm gonna, we're going to go for it. But then my, my best friend Dennis walks up behind me, and this guy's like, I don't got a beef with you, Dennis. I ain't got no problem with you. It's him I, want, I, want to, I got a problem with. And he used some other foul words that I won't use here in church on the podcast. And Dennis, I, I'll never forget. My be, he's my best friend. He's my brother-in-law. I start to tear up. Um, he says, no, you got a problem with him. You got a problem with me. And there was that sense of, man, I can do anything. This guy has, good luck, buddy. I don't even have to lift a finger. You're going to mess with Dennis now. That's the way it is with our Heavenly Father. People, you need to walk with confidence that you have the God of the universe that is saying, I love you and I am for you, so who can be against you? Remember God's power. And fourthly, as we wrap up. Oh, it's thirdly. Sorry, we got a couple more. <laughs> Believe he will save. Believe he will save. That's what they did. When you're in a problem or a crisis, you not only have to believe that God has the ability, but he will save. See, that's faith. That's unwavering faith. Faith is the evidence of the things that we hope for. I'm sorry, the substance of the things we hope for and the evidence of the things that we don't yet see. So they believed he will save them. An expectation these guys said to the king, he will save us from your power, your majesty. They had seen God deliver in the past, so they were not going to doubt. They stood on God's promises. See, you have the benefit that these guys didn't even have. You've got 7,000 promises written to you found in this complete word of God right here. Why, why do I get into this every day? Because I want to get to know God's promises. I want to put them in my heart and in my life. And when the, when the enemy or somebody tries to come against me, I want to be able to say, no, but this is what God has said about me. And this is what God says about this situation. The God of the universe. Matter of fact, here's one of those promises that we all should memorize and put into our hearts on a daily basis so we can bring it back out. It's Isaiah 43 verses two through three say this. When you go, this is God speaking to you. When you go through deep waters and great trouble, I will be with you. When you go through rivers of difficulty, you will not drown. When you walk, here it is, through the fire of oppression, you will not be burned up. The flames will not consume you, for I am the Lord your God. I guarantee you, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were remembering what Isaiah was saying. This fire will not consume us. When you go through the deep water and the great trouble, I will be with you. When you go through the rivers of difficulty, this is a promise for you that when you go through those difficult times, you can trust the Lord that he is with you. Let this be your faith statement. I believe God can save me. 
and I believe God will save me. When you walk through the fire, the flames will not consume you. That's a literal promise of God. A literal promise of God. Fourthly, be bold. Be bold. Be bold. Everybody say, be bold. Announce your loyalty no matter what, and don't be ashamed. These three guys said this, God has the ability to save us. He will save us. Same words that Isaiah was going to say, they said. And verse 18 says, but even if God doesn't, we will never serve your gods or worship the golden statue you set up. But even if for some reason God chooses not to do it, and he's God, so he knows what's best, we still won't serve. It's what the martyrs would say thousands of years later. The martyrs, the Christian martyrs who would say, you can burn us, you can rip us apart, you can feed us to lions, but we will not renounce Jesus Christ. Be bold. Be bold. They were announcing their loyalty to God no matter what. They were convinced. They were confident. For reasons only God would know, they would not change. We're not going to back down. In the New Testament, the Apostle Paul says it this way. Romans chapter 1, verse 16 says this, For I am not ashamed of this good news about Christ. It is the power of God at work, saving everyone who believes. Saving everyone who believes. Did you hear me? Saving everyone who believes. From Isaiah all the way through to Paul, God is saying, I will be with you. Don't be ashamed. Be bold. In Jesus' name. Jesus' name. Is Christina, did I, is she here? Oh, come on up, Zach. Hey, church, as we wrap up here, this is part one of a two-part message because I know some of you are going, yeah, what happened to them? Kelly, it's, it's almost 6.30. What about the rest of the story? Well, tonight I want you to go home and read chapter three. You can go ahead and see what happened. The next time I teach on this, I'm going to teach part two of when the heat is on. How do you respond when you're actually in the fire? You won't want to miss that one because most, some of us are in fires, in relational fires, <laughs> career fires, decisions. How do you respond? How, how do you see a miracle take place when you stand in faith like these guys and yet they were still thrown in the fire? Tonight as we close, you can go ahead and close your notes. If the heat is on you, I want this message to encourage you. Be encouraged tonight. I hope this builds your faith because the way we face the fire is with faith faith, full trust in God. One of the reasons why God allows us to go through tests is to see our faith rise. I heard it said once that if you want patience, do you think God will just give you patience or will he give you something to be patient for? If you want faith, do you think he'll just magically give you faith or will he give you an opportunity or a situation to be faithful. That's what these guys were experiencing, an opportunity to be filled with faith, to trust, to believe, to be bold. 
when the heat is on. Thank you for listening. For more information, check out our website at wearerefinery.com, like us on Facebook, and follow us on Instagram at wearerefinery. God bless.